Hi, this is Greg Jacobson from Kinexus, coming to you today with a conversation with Dr. Colby Evans. We're going to talk about drug pricing, and I thought to start things off, Colby, please introduce yourself and tell us about what you do. Thanks for inviting me today, Greg. Uh, again, I'm Colby Evans. I am a dermatologist in Austin, Texas, and uh, in relation to this topic, I am the immediate past chair of the board of the National Psoriasis Foundation, and I'm the chair of the American Academy of Dermatology's Drug Pricing and Transparency Task Force. That's great. So what's interesting is, so Colby and I have known each other for a long time. As many of you know, I'm an ER doctor, and being an ER doctor, you meet other doctors. And I was in a conversation with Colby a couple months back when we started talking about drug pricing, and I just found it to be this really interesting topic that, for one, I didn't know much about, even though I'm prescribing drugs all the time. But two, I thought there was some correlation and implication to the continuous improvement world. So, I mean, we were we were prepping for this for this podcast, and the the thought was like, why are we talking about drug pricing? Um, on a continuous improvement podcast. And I think when you listen to the conversation we're about to have, you're going to find some really interesting parallels into well, what's the definition of quality and what's the definition of value and uh, is does the marketplace actually affect whether or not you know, organizations will benefit from doing lean. So I thought there were some really interesting topics and I think that almost everyone is affected by this whether they realize it or not. So let's get it started. Um, so let's start with, talk to us about what you've been learning about over the last several years regarding drug pricing. What's going on in the U.S.? Yeah, so drug pricing in the United States is a red-hot issue right now because we spend more and more of our economy on health care, and more and more of that is spent on prescription medications for patients. Unfortunately, last year, over 4 million patients walked away from a pharmacy without getting their prescription filled uh, when that because that drug was too expensive. And so we have 4 million situations where patients might have an infection that goes untreated, might be more prone to a chronic disease like a heart attack or a stroke, or might uh, face suffering um, simply because once they got to the pharmacy, they couldn't afford their drugs. So why should we care if we weren't one of the 4 million though, right? Yeah, sure. So, of course, the, the first reason to care is if you or a loved one has to try to afford one of these medications. But even if you're not in that situation, you probably will be one day or your parents or your siblings will be. And it's a tremendous expense on our nation. Uh, Medicare and the VA buy a tremendous amount of drugs with tax dollars plus all the money that employers put into insurance, and a tremendous and increasing amount of that money goes to paying for prescription medications. So what I'm interested in, and I'm, I'm always reminded, you know, really a, a lot of process improvement, continuous improvement, lean thinking, um, relates to quality. Um, right. And uh, the, the definition of quality that I find the most compelling is meeting the, the need of the customer. And in this case, the customer is the patient. And uh, you, you take the definition of quality and you go one step further and uh, you get to the definition of value, okay? And, and the definition of value that I love is quality divided by price. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think that wholeheartedly kind of front and center this issue of drug pricing and what we're about to get into, which is really the, just the crazy nature of, of what's happened to drug pricing in the United States, is just front and center about if, if a patient 
needs to get a drug and they are not able to do it, then the quality of the health institution that is providing that care is not being met, you know, the quality to the patient. And then if the price is really, really high, then there's very, very low value there, right? right. And so um, I think those are some of the, the, the lessons and the correlations I have. So what's going on right now with, with drug pricing variability? And then maybe we can get into a little bit of the background of it. Sure. So um, right now we are seeing uh, increases, sometimes extraordinary increases, in the prices of particular medications. For example? Uh, for example, doxycycline, which is an antibiotic that's commonly been prescribed for decades. We use it a lot in dermatology for acne and other things. Uh, in 2012, was 50 cents a pill and had gone up to $3.65 a pill just the next year. And it's roller coastered ever since then. So I'm sorry, from 50 cents to about three and a half dollars. So that's like a seven-fold increase, increase in price. in one year. In one year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't see that with the price of cars or the price of toys, right. um, other items that we buy. Uh, there have been some extraordinary examples, many of which have been in the news, where companies have increased the price thousands of percent. So, for example, Turing bought a drug called Isoprel. Uh, and increased the price 300% because they bought the only manufacturer of it. And Valiant bought Daraprim and increased the price 5,000%. So you were getting the drug maybe for a few dollars a pill, and then all of a sudden it's $700 a pill. And now, of course, the patient that was being successfully treated can't be treated anymore. So tell me a little bit about the, the background of how drug pricing came to be in general. Yeah, so... What you were saying earlier really made me think about our system is not designed for value. It's, in fact, intentionally not designed for value. The FDA has one mission, which is quality and safety. Uh, And so they want to make sure a drug works. uh, And so you have to have a big trial that proves it's better than placebo. And they want to make sure that we understand what side effects it causes and that it is safe in comparison to its benefit. They have no mission uh, to influence cost. And in fact, I've been on some conference calls with the FDA in the last few months, and they have explicitly said it is not part of their purview or mission to influence price. They appreciate, of course, that if a drug is too expensive, patients won't get it, and they would like to see that improved. But that is not part of the mission of the basic organization that approves drugs in our country. And in, in- to their credit, they've done some remarkable things. Uh, I just remember listening to a three-part series of a Freakonomics podcast, which if you don't listen to, is great, where they were talking about kind of the, the, the good and the bad of medicine. And one of the, you know, celebrated stories is um, the nausea medication from the thalidomide. 16th. Thalidomide, right? I mean, the FDA did not approve thalidomide, and rightfully so. Right, um, saved, when it was uh, approved in Europe, and there were a number of disastrous side effects with uh, babies with uh, uh, truncated arms or, or legs. Great. So so certainly um, by saying that that's their mission, it's not saying that that's a bad mission. No. It's just we need to recognize that the FDA is not here to kind of influence the market. They're not it, here to balance the cost versus these other things. They're here to make sure we have quality, safe drugs, which is a critical mission. So continue. Yep. So um, the other major issue is that we don't have transparency. I know in continuous improvement, you like to look at variability and understand the systems that lead organizations along, but you can't do that easily in drug pricing in the United States because many of the rebates and payments and maneuvers that go on between insurance companies 
pharmacy benefit managers, pharmacies, and doctors and patients are completely in a black box where no one besides the companies involved know what the process actually is. You mentioned pharmacy benefit members. Managers. Managers. That's often abbreviated as PBMs. Tell us about those and how they are related. Pharmacy benefit managers arose in the 1960s when the number of prescription drugs increased dramatically. Insurers weren't really capable of handling all these claims for prescriptions that they hadn't had before. So these companies were created, and there are three of them, OptumRx, CVS Caremark, and Express Scripts, that control about 80% of the U.S. market. They're essentially middlemen between the insurance company on one side who hires them to manage their drugs on their insurance plan, and on the other side, the pharmacy, the doctor, and the patient. And they initially uh, held the hope of decreasing price because they represented a large number of insured lives. They could negotiate with the pharmaceutical companies to try to get the best price on a given drug. What has happened over the years is they have used that power to leverage what are called rebates. And that is where the pharmaceutical company has to pay back part of the price. So this is where you get some of the the total illogic that we see. Let's say drug A is $100 and drug B is $200. Well, you would think the insurance company would want drug A, assuming they're about equivalent because it's cheaper. But what if they get a $120 rebate on drug B, so they actually end up in a better situation with the more expensive drug. And that is a confusing but common situation where you don't see them choosing the cheapest choice because there are other movements of money involved. So it's almost like, and this was kind of in our prep conversations, the conclusion I was coming to, it's it's almost not a pure market, right? When you, you start getting a situation when I am going to go buy a computer, for instance, I can compare what are the features, I can compare, um, you know, what are the brands, and then I can comp- I know what the price is, for instance, and and that transaction is is fairly, you know, one dimensional, right? I have the money, I am I'm paying a a store or a manufacturer for a product, but what I'm hearing you say that there's actually almost four parties that are involved in this transaction and the between the manufacturer the insurance the bp i'm going to mess up yeah, yeah, and, and 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 the patient it's almost four parties and it's not a singular transaction so it's not like i'm just going to buy a computer it's i'm buying a computer but in some other ways that's being bundled with a whole bunch of other products that I'm actually not going to get the benefit of. Like, oh, well, we are partially paying for the monitor for someone else and then a printer for, you know, yet an even in another part. And we're giving a rebate to the printer manufacturer uh, to get their printer. Um, and, and the other thing about it is the parties are very unequal in power. Okay. Pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies are multi-billion dollar companies often. And they're in some ways squaring off against the doctor and the patient who are very tiny in comparison. And so uh, you can't negotiate, you know, you can't call up uh, a million, uh, a multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical company and say, well, you want $40,000 for your drug. How about I give you 20,000? You know, that is all handled for you by the insurance company and by the PBM and in a non-transparent way. Tell me about the GAO report. 
Yeah. So the GAO is the general accounting office. It's the part of the government that sort of keeps an accounting of all the other parts of the government. And last year, they did an audit of Medicare Part D. That's one of the programs Medicare uses to pay for prescription drugs that was brought on, brought on under President uh, Bush, the second President Bush. Um, and they wanted to understand more about these price increases. So they looked at drug Medicare bought from 2010 to 2015. They looked at over 1,400 what are they called established drugs, which were drugs that were on the plan from the beginning to the end. And they looked at what they called extraordinary price increases. So that's where a drug went up 100% in price or more in one sitting. And they found a couple of interesting things. First of all, they found the number one factor in price increase was lack of competition. So if there was only one or only two manufacturers of a drug, it was more likely to have an extraordinary price increase. I think any of us who are familiar with market economics don't find that surprising at all. Um, And from an interesting, uh, my perspective as a dermatologist, dermatology drugs represented only 8% of that basket of drugs, but represented 46% of the extraordinary price increases. So drugs that come in creams or ointments, for whatever reason, were very overrepresented in this uh, jump. And that's what got you interested in this topic. You were looking at your patients and giving prescriptions and not understanding why they couldn't fill them. So I I started with doxycycline, the drug we mentioned before. For many years, it was on the $4 list at Walmart. You could get a 30-day supply for $4. So you know, basically couldn't be any cheaper. And then all of a sudden patients were coming back to me telling me they had been told they were going to pay 300 or 400 or $500 for a month of doxycycline. Now that didn't make any sense to me. I, I mean, I understand if it went from $4 to $8 or something, but it was going up, um, you know, orders of magnitude in price. And just all of the sudden that wasn't in the news. We didn't necessarily know why. Uh, and then one day my patients couldn't get that drug anymore. What's interesting is, is so when I'm in the emergency department, we use a drug called Compazine. And uh, we've, we've found that it's great for migraines. And it's a generic drug that's classically used for nausea, but it just has this other benefit that we use. And all of a sudden, the hospital was out of it. And this just generic drug that has been on the market for you know decades at this point. And I never could really understand exactly what was going on. So w- what is going on in situations like that? You kind of mentioned there's this interplay between not very many uh, manufacturers necessarily of generics and then kind of combine that with FDA approvals. What's the story there? Yeah, drug shortages are a huge problem associated with monopolies or duopolies. So if you only have one manufacturer of an old generic drug, then if they have some kind of problem, a fire at their factory, maybe uh, they have a labor problem, you know, a lot of these drugs are manufactured in other parts of the world. Um, maybe they just decide to quit making the drug because it isn't profitable. It's Maybe it's got a small market. Then all of a sudden you have a shortage of that drug and it can take a long time for other manufacturers to get approval and ramp up production to be able to make it again. We're experiencing that right now in dermatology and and in the ER, I'm sure, as well, with lidocaine uh, and bicarbonate. So when we inject someone with a numbing drug to take a little biopsy of their skin, we neutralize it right before we do with bicarbonate so it doesn't burn or sting when it's injected. And bicarbonate has been on back order for over a year. Uh, So they're saving it, understandably, for people in the ICU who need it for their heart and so forth. 
but we've not been able to do that. I mean, this Lidocaine, is a generic, extremely common it's drug. baking yeah, soda. Right, exactly. I mean, it's literally yeah. baking soda. Yeah. And it's um, the, the pain level of a lidocaine injection without bicarbonate is rated at an 8 and with is rated at a 2. Right. So there's a dramatic difference, especially for children or for people who have larger things. We have skin cancers we have to remove. It's a big difference, and we can't give them the care we hope to give them because of shortages like this. So why are there only one or two producers of generics? So it there's a couple of reasons. The, the first of all is that the FDA process to bring a new generic drug to market is three to four years. So even if it's a very old molecule, we know all about it. We've had it on the market for many years. If your company decides, I want to get that approved for me to sell it, that takes three to four years. So let's say there are three manufacturers of a drug and it's relatively inexpensive. If one of them decides to get out of the market because it's too cheap, or maybe they sell one of the others, buys one of the others or the other two, then all of a sudden you essentially have a monopoly for three to four years. And that's often where you see these multi-hundred or thousands percent increases in price. The, um, the process can't keep up and keep the market humming along. If you have six or seven manufacturers of a drug, like doxycycline was, the price goes very low. It goes to like $4. Well, then a lot of them want to get out because they can't make money selling something for $4 at Walmart. Or or they can make so much more money if they were to change their factory and make a different molecule. And make something where they're the only one or two manufacturers. And unfortunately, generic drugs in the U.S. right now, half of them are either a monopoly or a duopoly. There's only two manufacturers. So we think of it as this bristling marketplace with all these generic manufacturers, but really half of generic drugs are not like that. And many drugs have a small market. You know, if you are selling a drug like doxycycline, that's sold all over the country millions of times. That's one thing. But if you're talking about relatively infrequently used drugs, it may be hard to make a profit if uh, if the price is low. So certainly... FDA, some reform in the FDA is going to be part of the solution. I always like to say if there was an easy solution, the problem would be fixed, right? I mean, how do you fix healthcare? Well, it's obviously really difficult to do it. There's going to be a whole bunch of different plays and players that are going to have to do there. So it's definitely not 100% an FDA issue, but some reform there. What are some other solutions? Yeah, this is absolutely a multifactorial, multi-level problem, and there is no one or even probably five solutions that will solve this. Uh, Yes, seeing the FDA accelerate uh, the approval of generic drugs, old drugs that we know would be great. Of course, they have to do that within their mandate of making sure they're safe and manufactured correctly. Um, In terms of other solutions, I think podcasts like this one, informing doctors, PAs, nurse practitioners, medical providers, that this is a big issue for patients, keeping an eye out and using techniques that help your patient when they leave your office. When I prescribe a drug that I know may be subject to this, which is certainly every day, I have little uh, post-it stickers that are made up in my office that I stick to the prescription. And they tell the patient, if you get to the pharmacy and this is very expensive, don't buy it. Because once the patient has paid the $400 and has the drug, you can't return it. You can't get your money back. So it tells them to call my office if that happens so that I can investigate what's going on and try to find them a better medication. We also here, I think, are seeing some of the failure of the promise of electronic medical records. Mm. 
when they go to the pharmacy, how much they owe is right there on the screen. The pharmacy immediately knows what the patient owes because they got to collect it. Why can't I know that in my office when I write a prescription and a red light comes up that says, warning, this drug is going to cost the patient $200 at the pharmacy? Unfortunately, given the Byzantine system, there are some parties that benefit from me not knowing that. Right. Um, and so we haven't seen as much progress as we could in that. The last thing I would say is transparency. One of the reasons we have this problem is that so much of it happens behind a curtain and the public and politicians don't know who is making money in which direction and who is incentivized to do what. Certainly there are times when the incentive is not to get the patient the best treatment at the lowest price. And so we would like to see more transparency in the whole process so that the books can be open to understand if someone is taking an outsized piece or is not following in what's best for the patient. And so there's a part of me that thinks we, we need to go kind of one way or the other. One, it's a single payer, universal. The monopoly, the monopoly so to speak, is, is actually in the payer, and that can control everything. Right. Or the other way, which is we, we need to create a true capitalistic market and uh, have all the normal market forces on that. And either one of those, I think, is probably – getting towards a solution. Right now, you've created all these weird thresholds and barriers and kind of this opaque process that is ultimately not benefiting the patient and, and, and creating a situation where we're not providing the quality kind of healthcare that we know. I mean, we've already done the research. We already know the drugs that they need. We just have to get those in the right body, so to speak. Absolutely. And there are proponents of both of those, of course, proponents of both of those solutions. And I agree with you, both of those could probably do a better job than what we have now. Um, we also need to find a way that the patient is at the center of what we're doing and that we are trying to get the best treatment to the patient. What you were saying about value earlier, that we're trying to provide the most value, not just trying to extract the most profit right. from the system, even if that hurts the patient. So I had a note here, what's GoodRx? So GoodRx is a company, I believe they're out of Santa Monica, California, who created a website that allows you to price compare different medications online. Now, this is not with your insurance because you don't know what price your insurance is negotiated, but just the cash price. It is shocking to many patients that different pharmacies charge different prices for the same drug. The same 60 pills of doxycycline, when it was $4 at Walmart, might have been $20 at a different pharmacy. And, and many people aren't aware of that. So GoodRx allows them to shop around before they go to the pharmacy to at least know what the cash price of that medicine would be. And if, um, you know, if one pharmacy maybe is a little further away or a little less convenient but has a lower price, of course, that might be worth it for the patient to go to. They also have coupons that you can print off their website, specific deals on specific medications with specific pharmacies that you can take to the pharmacy. So one of the, the story that kind of probably closely brought this to my heart as a patient, and I'll tell this briefly and then and then we'll go ahead and wrap this, this segment up, but I, I take amitriptyline as a migraine preventative. Amitriptyline, as uh, you might know, is a very old antidepressant 
that is a horrible antidepressant but is great for modifying um, pain in patients and um, works really well to prevent migraines. And for years, I was buying it for like, I don't know, six or seven dollars for a 90 day supply. Then all of a sudden, and I was doing that off like a CBS, you know, mail order. All of a sudden, they charged me $140. I was like, whoa. And then I ended up finding out that it was on the $4 list at, at um, Walmart, for instance. And so I went to Walmart and, um, and got prescriptions there for um, on the $4 list. And then I got another prescription there, and that was on the $4 list. But I ordered a milligram dosage that wasn't on the $4 list. So the 20 milligram dose of this medication, $4 list, the 30 milligram dose of it was like $120. And so it just reminded me um, when you said, if you are at a pharmacy and you're quoted a really high price, just stop for a second, call your doctor's office, tell them the situation you're in, go to GoodRx, do something. Don't just think that that's the only solution because it might be that the 20 milligram prescription is you know, literally pennies to the dollar than the 30 milligram prescription of that drug. And I can guarantee you doctors want to make this, I mean, being a physician, knowing many physicians, we we're not, we really want our patients to get the right medication that they need. So yeah, if you're a um, medical provider, you have to have this conversation with your patients. I know it's sometimes uncomfortable, but the patient will really appreciate it when they don't just spend the money and then feel bad uh, that they paid so much for it. And you know, it's one thing, um, depending on your income level, but for many patients, that may be all their disposable income for the, the year. For the year. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they think the doctor knows best, so they say, well, I, I really can't afford this, but I'm going to go ahead and buy it because the doctor told me to, not knowing that we might have five other options we could choose uh, that might be at a better price point. So I think it's really important to have the conversation, be open to it, like I said, use post-its or cards to remind the patient so that they are pre-warned and pre-armed when they go into the pharmacy. And kind of as a final thought, and and, and you can riff on this um, as well, I'm, I'm thinking there there's so many players here, it's going to take a long time for policy to infiltrate here. But I, I think this is a call to people that are in the business of healthcare to have some social conscience um, to, to what they're doing, to recognize that, yes, everyone is um, has a right to make a, a fair profit on things. But if you find yourself in a conversation or in a place of power where you are in a monopoly and, yes, the system is, uh, you know, crazy, maybe – Maybe don't go to a 3,000% markup, you know, maybe go to a 20% markup or something that just kind of makes sense because recognizing that that a decision that you could make um, could really, you know, harm people for a little bit of profit in the short term. I don't know if you want to. Absolutely. And I would say it's a call to physicians and medical providers to get involved with advocacy. Uh, I was on Capitol Hill a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about some of these very issues um, with my legislators. Here in Texas this year, the National Psoriasis Foundation and our partners with multiple sclerosis and cancer and arthritis uh, advocacy organizations uh, passed a step therapy legislation that helps limit patients having to fail older, more dangerous drugs before they can afford the new, uh, better drugs in psoriasis. And, you know, we only got that done by taking patients onto Capitol Hill, talking to legislators, showing them how much of an issue this is and getting them to pass these uh, restrictions. And those have been passed in Indiana, in West Virginia, in Texas. We're not talking about a liberal pipe dream here. These are, even in conservative states, there's a recognition 
that patients not being able to afford their drugs hurts everybody. That's great. I think those are those are great words to conclude our episode today. If you like this kind of alternative conversation that we're having on the Kinexus uh, podcast series, please let us know. Um, shoot us an email or some feedback. If you like our podcast in general, I can't um, encourage you enough to go give us a really high rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really um, allows search algorithms to put us higher so more people can can learn about continuous improvement. And uh, make sure you, if you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, please do so. We put a lot of energy in our blog at blog.kinexus.com. We have both um, kind of a general blog and a customer blog, and we just love being a part of this community. Well, great. That wraps up almost uh, a half an hour here for our, our podcast on drug pricing. Um, Colby, I, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to come talk about these issues about drug pricing in the U.S. Thanks. It's a critical issue, so I appreciate the time. I'm going to sign off with saying that there's no better day than today to start spreading continuous improvement. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg.